Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's show, we are in The Messy Studio. We are talking about cars. And with me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Yeah, when you when you do your intro and you said that you include art and life in general, I think cars are a pretty good category to cover. Yeah, and I think that we were both kind of surprised at how much interest artists have in cars. A lot. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, actually it was on the 20th of July, I, I posed a question on Facebook and I said, uh, thinking about getting a car and... Um, my thought when I wrote the post was I wanted something to handle some pretty big panels. And I had like a hundred comments or more, including all the, you know, the talk within the comment. And I was, yeah, I was surprised. Like this is a hot topic for artists. Yeah. I think it it generated more feedback than just about anything that we've discussed recently. Uh, The closest I can remember, um, in my own uh, asking of questions was whether I should get a Mac or a PC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that might have to be a topic for another show, actually. <laughs> right, actually, yeah, because, you know, we do, um, we deal with this practical stuff, and buying a car is really a big deal, so. Yeah, it's a massive purchase. It's a very big life decision. Um, it's right up there with uh, how you're going to set up your studio. Right. Um, because transportation and these kind of logistics issues are things that are not really discussed in uh, maybe like an art education setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that I feel like is is actually very lacking from education is just this basic nuts and bolts, you know, how to handle financing. Yeah. Um, and we're yeah. not going to go too deep into into that <laughs> stuff. But I, we do have some practical advice for artists. Yeah. Um, I actually used to sell cars. Um, so I have a little bit more insight into this industry than I think most other people do. Yeah. And I... I think it was interesting in this uh, Facebook thread, which is still up if anybody wants to look at it, is that, you know, people were, some people were just saying, I love my car and saying what it was. Some people were saying, um, I'm I'm following this thread because I'm really interested. I'm about to buy a car. And some people were, you know, had some other really interesting ideas about how to handle the whole issue. So it was very, it was very good, very educational. So I thought, well, or we both thought it'd be a good podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the great thing about having a podcast is when you see something like this, it's like, wow, that's content waiting to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, when I posted that, I was not, I did not have a car yet. So I was thinking and looking and researching. So, and um, a few days ago, last week, I drove home a new Honda CRV. So this was the culmination of my research, my thinking, the input from the Facebook post, your input, lots of things went into this. So I'm really happy with it. It's, uh, and it's an amazing car. <laughs> like the safety features, the, the way it feels when you drive it, um, the capacity, the cargo capacity is very good. Um, one of the one of the things that I I gained from that thread personally was that I did start out with the idea that I wanted a bigger car, and at the same time I was concerned about miles per gallon, the gas mileage, because and and some people responded in terms of finances uh, but it's also for me it is about the environment and i just can't 
I just don't like driving a, a gas guzzler. So. Well, and it's also just about the the practical aspects of driving a large vehicle. It's harder to find a parking space yes. that you can fit the car into. Um, it, it's more difficult to drive a larger vehicle if you're not used to it. Um, and you know, the, the fact is, is that for most people, uh, you know, you're transporting a large amount of large panels, maybe once or twice a year. Um, you know, and if you're just going to be, you, if the only time when that vehicle size is necessary is a couple times a year, you're probably better off renting a cargo van or, um, a having trail. a trailer. Yep. I, that- I'm personally opposed to trailers, uh, because I had a, uh, an accident where a trailer disconnected from my vehicle mm-hmm. and I rolled multiple times at, uh, at highway speeds. Yeah. It um, happened to my parents too. They were pulling a trailer and it flipped. Yeah. And trailers, so trailers can be a safety issue. Um, especially if, uh, if the, the trailer has, um, is older, it has, has not been inspected recently by somebody who really understands, you know, the mechanics of how a trailer attaches. Um, yeah, and that so that was definitely one of the things that came up in the thread that was really persuasive to me was several people said what you just said. Like what how many times a year do you actually need a really big car? What are you what are you doing in your normal driving? And well, it's it's not that. You know, I will say, you know, there are people that uh take their work to art fairs. There are people that, you know, routinely transport bigger pieces and then that's a different story so i think you start with kind of uh, maybe my ideal was to have enough room to put a 48 inch wide painting in but i soon realized the car i've been driving which is um, a subaru legacy wagon takes 42 inches across in the back and i've been driving this thing for years and carrying exhibits around and you know I mean, it's it's been fine so you know, after a little while, like I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I'll just get something that is basically um, that sort of cargo width that I've been used to. And it's that's what I got. Well, and the, your location does affect your car purchase as well. Yes. Um, up here in the northern Midwest, it's very common in the Rust Belt for uh, people to have a winter beater, a, a truck or a larger SUV. Uh, which has a little bit more ground clearance. It has four-wheel drive for those winter months. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also is going to, you know, when you're putting miles on salted roads on a vehicle, um, you know, it's better to start with something that already has a little bit of rust so that you're not going to degrade your vehicle that much quicker. And and with with my car, you know, it came, I got all the coatings and things put on it. So, uh, and it does have all-wheel drive. So those, those were considerations. It also gets really good gas mileage. Yeah, newer cars are getting better gas mileage all the time. Uh, Most of that is going to come from moving to smaller engines, uh, moving to, like, say, a four-cylinder engine um, that has a boost system, either a turbo or a, a supercharger. Um, which is going to feed more oxygen into the engine, uh, make it rev higher. Um, so these are considerations um, in terms of gas mileage, but also in terms of the mechanics of the vehicle because these systems are complicated. Sometimes they break. Mm-hmm. Um, newer vehicles tend to be very reliable. They're getting more reliable over time, but they're also getting more complicated. And uh, these systems, when they break, tend to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. So, And one of the options that uh, I was offered as I was making the purchase of this new car was that I could buy a 10-year bumper-to-bumper 
uh, warranty, which I went ahead and did. And it was about $2,000, which I figured was the cost of a couple of repairs. So I thought that was a good deal. And I don't know if other um, you know, car manufacturers offer that, but that was reassuring to me because the car does have a lot of high-tech stuff on it. And, um, you know, it's just, of course, everybody, it's kind of common sense. The more stuff there is on the car, the more stuff there is to fall apart and break down. So I, I was uh, happy to have that offer too. Yeah, and uh, that's going to kind of also fall into um, timing for buying a vehicle. Um, it's generally best if you're going to buy a brand new vehicle to buy right before the new model year comes out, and that's what you did. I did. Yeah. Um, it was just it was a, basically a, a year end clearance sale right. where they're trying to move out all of the 2018 models to make lot space for the 2019 models. Um, it's also a good idea to buy uh, at the end of the um, the fiscal year when a lot of times car dealerships are going to try to scale down their inventory so that they don't have to pay property taxes on those on mm-hmm. those vehicles. Um, so you can get some very good deals at the end of the year as well. Um, and it's it, these are different considerations between buying a new vehicle and buying a used vehicle. Yeah, and that's another big topic because... I, and this is a point of disagreement. Yes. Okay. So us. we're gonna we're gonna have a little yeah mother son disagreement here. So I I did set out with the idea in mind of getting a new car, and I will say I have never owned a new car, <laughs> and there was something just so emotionally appealing to me about having a new car that as practical as I tried to be, and Ross has some very good points about practicality, um, and you were kind of my you know it was kind of like devil's advocate thing. Like I wanted to know, I wanted to hear it. I mulled it all over. And in the end I did go for the new car. Well, and, and I think that you, you pretty much admitted just now that the, the reason for buying a new car is basically emotional. And, and the features that come out as the years go by, but I mean, your point was I could wait to get a used car with those same features in a few years, which was a really good point. Well, and it's also a matter of what features are actually practical and important. Mm-hmm. So the vehicle that you bought had some really tremendous features. It has uh, lane departure warnings. It has blind spot monitors. Um, it has some other features that I tend to think are less important in terms of safety, but those are the big ones. And yeah. those features were available on a vehicle that was a couple years older but at a higher trim level mm-hmm. um and so really uh in terms of practicality your best value on a vehicle is always or almost always going to be um buying a vehicle that is just off of lease that has maybe thirty thousand miles on it um cars depreciate in value very very quickly within the first couple of years um, so it's best to buy a vehicle after it's already lost that value rather than losing that value yourself. Um, otherwise, when you're buying a new vehicle, basically for the first couple of years, you're just paying the depreciation on the vehicle when you make your payments. Um, All right. Everyone take note. There, <laughs> there are very good reasons to buy a used car. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, we took very, very, I bought a, a vehicle, not a new vehicle, but I bought a, a new to me used vehicle about a year ago. And we had very different approaches to the whole thing. Um, so what I did is I went online, I plugged in the features that I was looking for, most importantly, all-wheel drive. Um, it needed to be less than 10 years old and less than 150,000 miles in order for me to get the best interest rate from the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a vehicle um, that had been sitting on a lot for a little while. The guy wanted to get move it on to make space for another vehicle. What I bought was a, uh, a 2008 
uh, Taurus X. Which is also, you know, that would be a good art car, right? Yeah, it has a very large opening in the back. It has third row seating. Um, it gets decent gas mileage, not great. I'm getting about uh, 22 miles to the gallon out of it. Um, so it's not nearly as good as your brand new car, which is getting more like 30, 35. Oh, it, it can get up to 35 on the highway. Uh, maybe it was 33, I can't remember. But um, And already, you know, I'm keeping an eye on it and just driving it as far as I have. It's it's really good right now. So, um, But I, I found several vehicles that were kind of in my price range and had the all-wheel yeah. drive. And I looked at safety features. I looked at uh, the reliability of the drivetrain. Um, I, basically, um, any vehicle you buy is going to have things that consumers have reported as being issues with the car. Mm-hmm. And you want to buy a car that where the issues that are reported by other people who have bought the car are relatively minor and inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost every car you're going to be looking at is going to have things like sensor issues. Um, And that's just because we're putting so many sensors on cars these days. Those sensors malfunction. You want to look at what sensors are likely to break and how expensive they are. Um, You know, and, and other things too, like um, for instance, a catalytic converter. Um, a catalytic converter could go out on a car that you're buying. Uh, you want to know how much that's going to cost. Um, so uh, there's, I don't want to necessarily say the make and model of the car, but in my previous life as a car salesman, I was aware of certain models of cars that have issues with things like catalytic converters. And on some of them, this, the, these can be $3,000. Oh, wow. So you want to be aware of, of what is likely to break on a car and what how much that costs. And and it's really great, all the info that's online. I mean, you can research anything. You can start with that approach like you did, and, and you can find out what's available in your area and all that in terms of a used car. So, um, And this is Honestly, like I said, my first new car. So I've always gone the used car route, and I've I have been quite happy with it. So, um, at the same time, I've never been as happy as I am now driving this brand new car. I mean, in terms of driving a car uh, as that part of my life. So, so you know. I think a big part of making that decision is is figuring out what is financially reasonable for you. Yes, for and sure. And the, the, really the first step is you want to, if you have like a financial advisor, you want to go talk to them. Uh, you want to go talk to the bank, have them run your credit. Um, you you got to understand also that every time you do a credit check, it pings your credit and it will reduce your credit. So you want to you want to basically get one credit check done at the bank where you intend to take out your loan. And you can do a little bit of research ahead of time into where you're going to get the best interest rates. I always recommend a local credit union. Mm. Um, generally, you're going to get the best interest rates from your local credit union. So go talk to them, have them run a credit, run a credit check, figure out what kind of interest rate you're looking at. And that'll help you determine, um, you know, for me, it helped me narrow it down to a vehicle less than 10 years old and less than 150,000 miles. Um, but you're going to be able to figure out, you know, what price point you're looking at, what your interest rate should be. It's going to help you a lot with your buying decision. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, because it's was a new experience for me, I was somewhat surprised to find out that the dealership I went to uh, partners with my credit union. And um, I did call the credit union to make sure it was the same price, same interest rate. And they said, oh, yes, it was. So, And that's something very, that you'll find when you're buying a new car. Yeah, typically. Very convenient. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and they had the, you know, I got the license plate right there and everything. So it was, it was very seamless. And um, anyway, so 
I thought we'd maybe talk a little bit about some of the other uh, considerations or cars that that people were discussing. And when yeah, when I don't I, want people's eyes to glaze over because I'm talking about nuts uh, and bolts uh, details. Uh, but <laughs> m- mine are getting there with the, you know. Okay. <laughs> If, okay, really, so, if anybody has any specific questions uh, or advice that they want to ask me, please feel free to contact me and I can give you some, some yeah, insight. He, he knows his cars. Um, so uh, as artists, I think um, we talked a little bit about what you would need your car for and and also the idea that you might have a second vehicle that was your runaround car. A lot of people or several people, and there was there was no one car that came up, you know, absolutely on top of all these comments, but a number of people mentioned a Suburban as being a very standard large car for hauling artwork and that galleries use them, um, people that go to art fairs use them. I know that um, they get bad gas mileage and they're humongous, but so they weren't, they weren't of interest to me, but if you're looking for something in that category, that was uh, one that was often mentioned, um, and there were there also was- something with some wheel clearance um, is going to be better in the snow. Um, it's also a little bit easier to load panels if you don't have to kind of crouch down and right. and move them into a vehicle. Um, if you can stand a little bit more upright as you move panels in and out of a vehicle, it's generally going to be a little bit easier yeah. for you. Yeah. And and another thing, you know, when you're looking at cargo space, and this is something quite a few people brought up, good advice, take one of your paintings that you want to be able to fit in and yeah. actually physically put it in the car, wrap it up in plastic so you don't get paint on the new car, but put it in the car and see how it works. And I think that one of our listeners said that they had done the same thing with a folded piece of cardboard. Um, you made the decision to actually bring a painting because your panels have some depth. They're right. They're about two inches deep. So I thought, why not just bring one of those but yeah cardboard would work if you didn't have something really deep and it really was helpful we we did that with the crv and it it worked and it was reassuring to see that that would work and um so so make sure that the actual cargo space is what you want and also observe like how deep is the cargo space because that was a big difference i noticed between my subaru and this my old subaru that i've been driving and the CRV was there was much more um, headroom in the CR- in the CRV, so I could s- potentially stack up work much higher. Yeah, and something actually that I think I would recommend in terms of that that height um, is looking at vehicles with a with third row seating that folds down. Right. Um, a lot of these vehicles, in order to make more headroom for those third row row passengers who are basically sitting right over the rear axle the roof line kind of rises up, it, it kind of humps up in the back. Mm. Um, and it's kind of funky looking. A lot of cars kind of hide this with a roof rack, um, but it provides more space near the opening of the vehicle for oh. moving panels in. Aha, uh-huh. good point. So some of the other cars that were mentioned in kind of the large uh, SUV category or van category that seemed like um, good ideas if you're in the market for that, uh, the Honda a pilot or the Honda Odyssey, and and I personally know someone that uses an Odyssey for um, well, Ginny Herzog. We had her interview a few weeks ago on the Messy Studio, and she uses a Honda Odyssey that is fitted out in the back with some racks, and that's what she takes to art fairs, and she really really likes it. Yeah, and that was something actually that your car salesman recommended was building a rack for the inside of your car. He mentioned that, yeah, and and I don't, you know. For me, stacking works. I just stack with, I guess that's 
worth a few words there and how I actually carry the work in the back would be pretty much stacked face to face with cardboard or something in between and everything's wrapped and I use a lot of blankets like I have a bunch of old quilts and things that I put in between the work to pad it when I'm going down the road so um but if you're, you know, if you're going to an art fair or something where you need to just slide things out and everything's ready to go, I could really, I could really see a rack. Um, other uh, models that were mentioned and, and kinds of cars, the Toyota Highlander, which I started out thinking might be the car for me, but it is much bigger than the CRV. So, but that was one that people seemed really happy with. A couple people had Kia cars, uh, the Sorento, the Sedona. I guess those are both fairly large. and Yeah, and uh, Kias and Hyundais have gotten a lot better in the last few years. Mm. Um, the They used to have kind of a poor reputation in terms of reliability. Um, now, uh, I actually really like Korean cars um, because you get a lot of value for your money in terms of the price for the features that you get. Um, and, uh, and they've gotten much more reliable over the past few years. Um, yeah, the Hyundai, Hyundai, how do you say it? Hyundai. The Hyundai Santa Fe was also a popular one on the thread. Several people had that and really liked it. Um, uh, several people had Volvo wagons. And, and there were some other really high-end ones that I didn't, I mean, Alexis, yeah. I don't and, know. And the thing is, is that if it's a car that you're going to be driving every day, for some people, having a really nice interior is going to be a selling point. And yeah. Volvos have incredible interiors. And they're really, really reliable. People keep them for years and years. Yep. Uh, but also, it's worth noting that uh, a lot of these car manufacturers uh, transfer uh, transfer platforms between manufacturers. So my vehicle, the, the, the it's a 2008 Taurus X, it's actually actually built on the same platform as the uh, the Volvo uh, XC90, I believe. Um, so there, by doing a little bit of research, oftentimes you can figure out, you know, I can buy this car for much less money that is underneath basically the same vehicle. Huh. Um, and it's, it's really worth uh, just going and sitting in a few vehicles, feeling what's comfortable, and, and doing that little bit of research. Uh, another bigger car that was mentioned was the Ford Transit van. That would, I think that's a real workhorse kind of a vehicle, right? I mean, you could, you could put a lot in it. Yeah. Transit vans are a great choice if you, if you are transporting a lot of work on a frequent basis. Yeah. And they're, they're just really boxy. And I, I it was funny, um, after I started thinking about getting a car, I'm drive whenever I'm out, out driving around, I start noticing, <laughs> like, I have never been a person that particularly noticed cars before, but uh, everything I saw, I'd be, hmm, well, what about that? You know. So. <laughs> well, and, and transit vans also, uh, typically the cargo area is furnished with materials that are very robust, uh-huh. um, very resistant to wear and tear. So yeah. if you're, you know, moving cargo in and out of a vehicle a whole lot, that becomes a, a major concern. Yeah, um, and I, I saw more of them on the road than I would have expected somehow by paying attention. Someone mentioned that you could really, really build an interior in one of those that would fit, uh, custom fit for your needs, your racks and things like that. So um, that's another, maybe for a second car, you know, maybe get a used one that's something like that, um, that you could use just for your art transport. Yeah, and if you're going to go that route, you probably want to have two vehicles. You want to have that large transport vehicle, and then you probably want to get something very small and fuel efficient for just running around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I didn't 
a lot of the bigger cars, honestly, when I was reading through these lists, if I could identify, uh, people might say, well, this one will fit a 48-inch. And by that point, I'd sort of decided, mm, I'm more, I'm going smaller. So I didn't really look at all these, but there were quite a few mentioned. And um, of the smaller SUVs, the, the kind that I got, um, there were several in the running. So there was um, there was the Rev4, which uh, is quite similar. That's a, a is that a Toyota? Yeah, the Toyota Rev4. They look really similar, but I guess the cargo space is a little bit bigger on the CRV. And I should mention at this point um, that cargo space can vary year to year, and a number of people noted that it could be changed from like with an inch here or there between two model years. So that's another reason to really uh, measure. Another one um, I actually drove was the VW Tiguan. Yeah, Tiguan. Tiguan. And um, interesting name. <laughs> it. Yeah, Volkswagens often have interesting <laughs> names. I also have to pause and think about that one. So I had mentioned it to the sales guy, and he said, well, the drive one. They, they sold them both at the same dealership. It was fine. I liked it. Um, but it just... I don't know. I didn't. It didn't uh, have as good gas mileage, and it just didn't appeal to me as much. And Ross, you mentioned a, a sales tech tactic that that may have been part of. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of your interactions with a salesperson. Okay, and let's let's hold that thought for one second because there's just a few more I want to mention in the category okay. that they were contenders for me. Um, the um, oh, uh, uh, Subarus because I've owned them for years. So the Outback, I believe, is deeper and the Forester is longer. Uh, neither one has quite the capacity that the CRV. By does. deeper, you're talking about the height of yeah, the vehicle. Yeah, um, they're they're really great though. I mean, I love Subarus, and my current car, my old car, has two hundred thirty thousand miles on it. So they're they're legendary for going the distance. Um, and that, there was a couple of Kia models. The Kia Soul was uh, kind of popular. It does not come with all wheel drive, so it was out of my consideration. So yeah, so go ahead and fill us in on. Uh, the sales tactics. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention um, real quickly in terms of kind of makes and models, um, if you're getting an import vehicle of any type, you can assume that it's going to be more expensive to fix. Um, and uh, if you're buying domestic, it's probably going to be less expensive to fix. Um, I bought a Ford uh, because Fords are um, what some of the cheapest vehicles to, to right. repair and maintain. Yeah. Um, so that's that should be a consideration when you're kind of pricing out the vehicle in terms of what you're buying. And and one one last word about models as well is that uh, obviously you know we're in the U.S. we're talking about American cars for the most part or imported cars here. I did get several responses from people in Europe and they mentioned cars that we can't get here. But in case you're listening um, in Europe, the Skoda SUV was mentioned, the Renault Kangaroo car, and the Ford Territory in New Zealand were all recommended. Yeah, good good advice for our uh, for our overseas. <laughs> we can't listeners. get them here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about your interactions with a salesperson. Um, there's kind of two different ways to buy a car, whether you're buying used or new. Um, one is going to a dealership, and the other is buying private party. Um, buying private party is kind of a different animal. 
Um, you're not going to generally get bank financing for a private party sale. You're going to have to show up with cash in hand and make a decision to buy the car, not buy the car. Um, and you're going to base that on a test drive and your interactions with the person who's selling it. Um, there's generally more risk with a private sale. Um, it's all, you're also going to pay less money. Mm-hmm. Um, so You can also take it to... A mechanic and yeah many times you can take it to a mechanic um and you want to develop a relationship with a mechanic um because you want to have somebody who you trust look at your vehicles um and uh what your mechanic uh likes to work on um can get parts for cheaply these are going to be considerations you want your mechanic to be happy you want to be happy so develop that relationship with your mechanic and have them inspect your vehicles before you buy them if possible when you're buying used um for interacting with a car salesperson on a lot whether you're buying used or new um there's a few considerations so when you're buying used um it's always best to show up with bank financing already. Um, Generally, you don't want to take the financing plan that is offered through the dealership unless they have a relationship with with a credit union already and you know that it's going to be the same. But generally, you want to go talk to your bank first and you want to show up already approved up to a certain price point. Um, and that lets the salesperson know that you're serious about buying, that you're the, you're prepared to buy today. Do you actually hold that in your hand when you walk in? It's not usually the bank will give you a an envelope. So when I went and got bank financing, they gave me like a a envelope that said Wisconsin Credit Union on it. So yeah, I had that in my hand yeah. when I walked onto the All lot, right. and the the salesperson can instantly see. Okay, this person is a buyer; they're not yeah. a looky a, a looky loo. Right? You know, right, they yeah. they they're here to to make a purchase. Another thing that gives that indication that's going to get you more attention is to not come onto the lot alone. Um, you know, I did this when I bought a car. I walked onto the lot alone. But in general, um, especially once you reach an age where you're assumed to be married, um, you know, whether you, the car salesman knows that you're not making a big purchase without the approval of somebody else in your life for the yeah, most part. Yeah, and it's interesting because I went to several dealerships, of course. I was looking at different cars. Only one um, was somebody came over to me and took me very seriously from the beginning. The other... The others I was passed off to someone basically said, hey, you want to show her that, you know, and, and it was like uh, they didn't seem the salespeople didn't seem very experienced that I was talking to. Yeah. And you want to as a salesperson, you want to develop those relationships with customers. But uh, any customer that you're talking to, it's a um, they're consuming your time and that time could possibly be spent with a customer who is buying. Mm-hmm. Um, 90% of the customers who are coming onto the lot are not going to buy from you. So you want to be able to pick out the customer that is going to buy, is ready to buy, you know. And yeah. and so that's, as a salesperson, that's what they're thinking. Yeah. But, you know, I think also that the guy, and it is the, the place where I've ended up buying the cars where they took me seriously from the beginning. Absolutely. And I think that it, maybe it was partly the, the CRV is, is, hugely popular and so many many people buy them yeah so the vehicle that you're looking at also gave gave an indication to the salesperson that like okay this person has done a little bit of research they know what they want yeah that's also a good sign yeah okay so go ahead with some other tips so one of the things that the salesperson did was um i mean i guess you would you had asked about the volkswagen i had yes yeah but 
oftentimes a salesperson will present you with a vehicle that they know that you're not really going to like for some reason. Like you've given the salesperson things that you're looking for in a vehicle and sometimes they'll, they'll put one in front of you that they know that you're not going to like as much as the one that they want you to buy. Um, so it's, it's a sales tactic. You, right. you know, you want to be kind of aware of what's happening. Yeah. Um, with used vehicles, used vehicles, um, every one of them is different. Um, your salesperson described them as like getting a puppy from the pound. Like every one of them has its own quirks, its own, you know, things that are good and bad. Um, you want the salesperson to like you. You want to be very, very polite and kind to your salesperson. Um, you're selling yourself to them as much as they are to you. So if a salesperson is kind of steering you away from certain vehicles, you want to take note. Um, you don't want to necessarily insist on going after you know, uh, this vehicle or that vehicle. And that's particularly true with the used car, you were saying. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, they, they know the mechanical history of them. Exactly. They're, they're, uh, they're usually not allowed to talk down a vehicle or to tell you what's really going on with it, but they'll, they'll oftentimes steer you in a certain direction, you know, and uh, some of that is based, this is why you want them to like you because they can certainly steer you towards a vehicle that has problems. <laughs> um, but you, you want to develop a relationship with your car salesman and listen to what they have to say. Yeah. And uh, it's also worth noting, um, usually a car salesman is going to make more on a used vehicle sale than a new vehicle. Um, you want to work with somebody who's working not based on a percentage commission, but on a per sale commission. Right. And, and several people at the different dealerships I talked to said, I only... I make a commission per vehicle, not by the yeah. car. And, and that's, that was, that's much more common these days. Yeah, it meant to be reassuring to me that they weren't going to push me into something yeah. higher end or something. Yeah, when I, when I was selling cars, I made $100 per car sale. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to get, you know, at least 10 car sales per month. Mm -hmm. You so, were good at it too. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very draining job and, you know, yeah. these guys work hard and you want to be considerate of them and, and listen to what they have to say. Um, yeah, and it does make a difference if the salesperson is really patient and kind, because I would certainly recommend the person I worked with to anyone. I mean, he was great. And he, he spent like almost two hours showing me all the features of this car, which says something about how many features there are. But I mean, he was just so Really nice. Really good to work with. Yeah. And um, another thing that you want to be aware of um, is that uh, people who are buying, most buying decisions in general, but especially with cars, are made emotionally, not based on a rational inspection of the vehicle and the facts about it. Um, so the sales pitch is generally going to be very emotionally driven. Um this is why safety features are such a important part of a sales tactic um, because the salesman is going to, you know, push certain safety features as being totally necessary um, for your purchase in terms of the safety of the vehicle and how safe you feel because it's, it's an emotional mm -hmm. attachment to well, the we vehicle. We never know. We never know if any of them will save your life or not. <laughs> well, and this is why I think it's important to kind of research the safety features and figure out what's really important. Mm -hmm. um, I think that blind spot monitors on new vehicles are extremely important. They're great. Yeah. Um, 
with new vehicles in particular, the pillars have gotten thicker over time. And this is because of a combination of um, cafe standards, uh, which have to do with miles per gallon and safety standards. Um, so over time, vehicles have to become more fuel efficient and safer. And these two things are kind of in conflict with each other. Um, so what ends up happening is the pillars end up getting thicker because if they, they need to be able to survive a rollover, and this is a good thing, you know, that vehicles are getting more safe, but they also need to use uh, lighter materials in order to improve fuel efficiency. And if they could make the the pillars thin by using very high tech materials like carbon fiber, but these are very expensive and would drive up the cost of the vehicle yeah. just astronomically. So the solution is to make the pillar thicker and that increases the size of your blind spot and makes it harder to drive the vehicle safely. Um, so these are the kind of the competing factors that the car designers are working with. Yeah. So adding blind spot monitors is kind of a cost-effective way of making the vehicle safer to drive while also making mm -hmm. the vehicle safer in a crash. Yeah, and some some of the things that are, they are safety features, but they're also kind of convenience features like the um, adaptive cruise control, which um, keeps you at a certain distance from the car in front of you. Now, if you're a decent driver, you do that anyway. Um, it, it allows you to put your cruise control on and sort of forget it because it's going, the car will slow down. Yeah. And the new to. vehicles will also, they will steer to keep you in the lane. They do that. Mine does that. <laughs> only for a certain time. And then it starts flashing, like put your hands back on the wheel now. Um, so those are things that, yeah, they're, they're nice, but not essential. I would agree. And, and I think that those features um, in some ways they, are counterproductive because people tend to over rely over rely on them. Yeah. Um, you know, well, here's, here's my take on it. So the new car has this incredible touch screen, right? It plugs into my phone. It's got music. It's got podcasts. It sounds got, like a great thing to play with while exactly, you're driving. It's like, so, so my, my belief is that they have to put all these safety features on because you're so distracted by this touch screen and finding your perfect entertainment venue that, you need something to help you keep the car on the road. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, a benefit of the larger touch, touch screens, though, as well, is um, the navigation systems. Oh, it's amazing. You plug in your phone and everything is there for you. It's, it's much easier to see your route. So you're able to uh, pay attention to your GPS without taking your eyes off the road yeah, for as long. You can do, you know, hands-free phoning and all that. It, it really is, like, that screen is quite amazing. So I'm sure there's a point once I figure everything out where it won't be quite as distracting, but <laughs> it is a bit now. Yeah. So I think that uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, I'm sure that there are things that we missed and that people will have questions about this. As we said at the beginning, this topic generated a lot of interest when we first kind of talked about it on Facebook. Um, if you have specific questions, please feel free to contact me. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get contacted by more than a few people. So, <laughs> so please keep your questions specific and to the point, and I'll do my best to help All you right. out. See, he's also a, a car guru as well as a podcast guru. So. Well, I've always been interested in cars and, uh, you know, it's 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 something that I'm a little bit of a nerd about. So, um, and I I can hopefully help some of you out. But like I say, please just keep your questions specific. <laughs>
So I think that that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Make sure to check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your own creative space, messy or otherwise. <laughs>